This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello and welcome to Talking TV. I'm Jake Cantor. Coming up this week, we've got an interview with Gogglebox creator Tim Harcourt, so don't even think about reaching for the remote. Talking TV will then take you to opulent West London, where we'll clink champagne flutes with Made in Chelsea producer Sarah Dillastone. Finally, Talkback boss Dan Baldwin gives us the guided tour on the resurrection of Through the Keyhole. That's all coming up on Talking TV from Broadcast. Meet the people who have become famous for watching the stuff that you make. Here they are, getting stuck into Countdown. Passive. Pass. Passion. 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 Was it F? Spasson, spasson, spasson. Fin, fins, fins, pins, hat. P. Passion. Piss. Passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N. Piss is on as well, P-I-double-F. Yes, that was, of course, Sandy, Sandra and Leon from Channel 4's Gogglebox, the show where we're invited to snoop on the British public watching television. It's a simple conceit that proved divisive when the first series aired earlier this year, but now the Studio Lambert format is nearing the end of its second run, a fire has been lit under its popularity with viewers and critics. The Telegraph called it the show making Britain feel great, while Gogglebox's stars have been spotted hanging out with Nick Grimshaw and Rufus Hound, among others. So the couch potatoes have become hot potatoes. Joining me now is the man responsible for this hoopla. It's Studio Lambert's head of development, Tim Harcourt. So we've discussed Channel 4's ratings blues at the top of the show, but uh, Gogglebox is a clear creative success. Um, Do we start at the beginning? Can you talk us through what prompted the idea and how you sold it into to Channel 4? I'd been conscious, probably like a lot of people, that you know the way we watch TV isn't perhaps as passively as some people would imagine. But that was something that I genuinely contemplated doing, but I put it to one side, like you know, a lot of things. The actual moment of insight when I thought, oh my God, it would be really interesting to cut between different people watching a shared stimulus was during the London riots when I was watching Sky News and BBC News, mostly Sky News actually, to be honest. Um, and I'm sure a lot of other people were. And the way we were watching the news... Um, and talking about it and reacting and sort of the sense of panic as well, um, I think, in a lot of people's homes. I, I all of a sudden thought, oh, my God, it would be fantastic if we were in people's houses watching people watch this yeah. news go out and we're intercutting between their reactions and different people of different backgrounds. So it's um, that sense of shared experience. It's that, that sense of shared, shared experience um, and of people, um, you know, all responding in interesting ways. Um, and when I, you know, I thought about it quite long and hard. And when I first joined Studio Lambert, I think in the first few weeks, I sort of pitched this as a slightly mad idea to Stephen. I said, "Oh, wouldn't it be interesting to intercut between people watching the news and watching television and try and turn it around as quickly as possible to reflect the sort of the national conversation?" Was Channel Four always the first destination? In my mind, I, I, I don't, I couldn't imagine anyone else buying that show it felt it felt like it was channel four or bust so was it david glover who took it and championed it at channel four i had a meeting with david glover ralph lee uh, mark Raphael, and aisha Raphael as well um all, all at one time 
My four first, commissioners four in one commissioners. room. <laughs> it was my first pitch at Channel 4 with Studio Lambert. Stephen had arrived off the plane from America. Tanya was there, and I think um, Freya Sampson was there as well. There were sort of four of us on one side of the desk, four on the other, which I've never really been in a pitching situation yeah. similar to that. I pitched the idea, and I sort of said, oh, you keep asking us where the national conversation is going on, and we think we found it. We think it's in front of the television and we want to capture this national conversation as well as what people really think about TV in a sort of a review rig hybrid. They ordered four parts originally and it, it wasn't sort of universally popular. It, it, it took a little while to bed in. What convinced them to go to a 13-part series? Well, it didn't go straight to a four-part four, um, a four series. David Glover actually gave us a chunk of money and we went to test the concept. Yeah. And so Tanya and myself went away and found a cast of which a lot were poor, but Leon and June still remain and they were in that initial cast. And we shot hours of footage, hours of footage, and we tried it different ways. We tried being totally passive. We tried sort of producing it gently and we found that actually the, the passive producing just sort of watching and then having to you know really mine all that footage for the gems was was the most authentic and the best way and we cut together a mixed audience watching three different shows i think it was embarrassing bodies the queen's jubilee which led to some absolutely probably unbroadcastable moments <laughs> and uh we have to show us those one day and, and the voice I, I, I still have the tape locked away in the studio <laughs> lambert vault and, and tanya and i spent three weeks in the edit sort of giving it sort of the identity I suppose it has now it had a countdown element which no one liked at all and when David Glover saw the tape he said oh I love it uh, make it less KFC because it had like maybe a little bit too much entertainment glitz in it make it a little more authentic and then to be fair to him you know we really brainstormed it over lots and lots of sessions over over the tone and how it should be and he you know his passion and and, and mine and, and Tanya's and Stephen's sort of led it to that initial order of four although we did a dummy run before that that order of four when it was called uh i think it was called watch with britain which i don't know i mean it may have still worked with that title but i think gogglebox is uh, a much better title yeah um it's a bit more pithy isn't it? a bit more pithy and uh, and so yeah, then, then we did the run of four so it was actually quite a yeah it was a longer circuitous route to it was a long four. gestation clearly um that then it's like a, that was a whole year between sort of pitching to yeah to those four episodes transmitting. Can you tell us a bit about how it's made? Because I'm always intrigued by that when I'm watching it. There's clearly remote cameras in the room. Could you talk us about that process and how you go about selecting shows? But the team sort of plan ahead with selecting shows. I suppose they go for a mixture of the big shows that everyone's going to talk about that are sort of live and reflect the week that's gone and things that interest them ahead you know, they can see coming down the line. So it's kind of a mixture of, of that and the news. And I think the news is really important for it. For it to, a, I like it because it's true to the original idea. And B, because it, it really does locate it in time. There's about 14, I suppose, families or, or, or groups of people. And Tanya Alexander, who makes it sort of week in, week out. And Paul Broadbent, the series producer, kind of kill themselves by sending round uh, their PDs two or three days at each house filming these people watching about six hours of two TV over over two days. So they watch it as it TXs or they is it, is it a bit of a mixture? It's, it's a mixture. Yeah. It's a mixture. And and, and the, the programmes are sort of agreed with the audience and the production team, so it's kind of a reflection of what they might watch. And you can kind of see that 
that you know Leon genuinely does enjoy Made in Chelsea, and I mean this will take <laughs> yeah. the shot. He, he went, talks fluently about it. <laughs> yeah, he, know, he knows all their names. I don't know any of their names really, but um, Leon puts me to shame. So there's a team of PD with a researcher. They have two Robo cameras, and you know it's kind of like sitting and wait. It's like fishing, I imagine. They sit and wait, and they sort of log what they think are the best bits. But when it comes to the edit, I'm sure Tanya and Paul would say that often what seem like the best bits, you know, when you're recording it, them happen aren't, and they have to mine even harder for those better bits. And then it goes through an incredible, you know, edit craft process, of which Chris Hooker is kind of the finishing editor and, and I you know I think he does an absolutely fantastic job yeah. in, in shaping that for Paul and Tanya every week and turning it round and on an insanely tight schedule it's sort of signed off on a Tuesday late night and then goes out on the Wednesday so it is incredibly tight. Brilliant and, and casting is clearly key how did you go about finding your contributors? Well I think it's been well publicised that um, Dom and Steph were on Four in a Bed and I think early on we felt we didn't have that that voice, that sort of, what I'd call, I suppose, an upper-middle-class English voice in the programme, and we took them off one of our own shows because they had been brilliant characters. Very early on, we had sort of types of and sorts of people that we wanted to find, and we made a few mistakes, I think, when we shot the initial tape, and we knew who we didn't want, and we didn't want people, you know, self-appointed entertainers. I think one of the beauties of the show is... You know, everyone remembers that first Big Brother series and it sort of came back and, and you had a completely new cast and you had to start again and fall in love with them all over again. Ours can, you know, gently refresh. I mean, you'll see faces in this series that you saw last series. And I, I mean, I seem sprinkled. to see new faces all the time. Every time I watch it, I feel like I've uh, experienced something new. Yeah, the, the cast, they are casting sort of constantly looking for interesting people. But, you know, the, the people who think they're funny are going to be amazing on TV and on Twitter. You know, there's a lot of people saying, God, I should be on that. I'm hilarious in front of the TV. I'm sure, you know, Tanya breaks into cold sweats when she thinks of uh, having to audition them <laughs> and put them on the show. The authenticity is key. I mean, obviously, these people are watching themselves go out on TV and that's, the show's porous in that sense. I think that's even more important that they that they they mine those th- those hours of and reams of uh, of footage they have yeah. from watching TV and sort of surprise the cast with what they actually pick and put on the TV constantly. And I know that's something that Tanya is very passionate about doing. And more to come, more to come indeed. Brilliant. Well, thank you for joining us, Tim. It's, it's been a it's appreciated. Next up, we talk to the queen of structured reality television. Yes, Sarah Dillastone was part of the Lion Pictures team that launched The Only Way is Essex in 2010, but has since journeyed west to oversee E4's Made in Chelsea. The BAFTA-winning show is a firm fixture on Channel 4's youth station, combining high production values and heightened reality to offer a window on the lives of affluent young Londoners. With a loyal audience and a big online following, E4 bulk ordered three more series of Made in Chelsea late last year and has recently agreed a spin-off series set in New York. Before bringing Sarah in, here's Proudlock, Jamie and Alex chatting about love over a game of poker. Matt, I mean, you guys, you guys have been together for, for a bit now. Is she the type of guy you've been falling in love with? With me, it takes a while. And I think after my first love, it's been a bit Phoebe. hard for me to... With Phoebe, yeah. I don't know, I just never really sunk back into it that quickly. It always takes a while. Do you think she, she loves you? I don't know. You'd have to ask her. Why don't we text her now? <laughs> I mean, I just I like mean, come the on. bottom of things. Exactly. <laughs> you know, shall I? Do you, do you love Alex Mitten? Okay, do you have Biggie's number? 
Yeah, I think so. <laughs> what if you said to you, I love you, what would you say? Uh, I'd say, I'd be honest, I'd say, I'm not sure I love you, because I don't at this stage, I don't think. That'd be quite sad. <laughs> Could just say thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Thank you for having uh, me. A, a bit of a disclosure at the top. Um, Made in Chelsea is a proper guilty pleasure for me. I mean, so, as with all good drama, you're, you're sort of entirely dependent on your characters, aren't you? How do yeah. you, How do you go about teasing out storylines or do they just present themselves? It's a bit of both, actually, because sometimes you think that you're going to get like a massive explosive storyline at an event or something. And it just doesn't happen because actually the cast get there and go, oh, I don't actually think that. And you're like, oh, I thought you did. <laughs> but then other times, like with Alex, for instance, like we knew because of that clip that you've just played, like Alex did not want to tell Binky that he loved her, but we obviously knew that Binky loved him. For them, like watching that play out is so tough. Like she had to watch him say to Jamie and Pradlock, you know, oh, it's fine, I'm not in love with her. It's like, it's not fine. She's a girl and she's going to be really upset by that, FYI. That's the sort of storyline that you can keep following until he says it or he doesn't so at that point we can just you know we can play that out for a very long time and that I mean and that is you know completely real so tell us how about how you approach it do you, do you sit down with them and talk about what's going on and then and then think of ways of structuring the show or just talk us through sort of well, your number approach one, to an average we episode. have with the cast I'm really really straight with the cast they sometimes get annoyed they're like oh I can't believe you've put that on tv I'm like whoa 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 there If you take part in a structured reality show, your life is going to go on camera, every single part of it, if we find out about it. Because oft sometimes they lie to us and they think that we're not going to find out about cheating rumours. We always find out. So we're really straight with them. It's like, if you cheat, it's better that you tell us because we're going to find out. And when we do find out, it's going to be on TV. How do you find out you've got your sources? Oh, yeah. I Honestly, it's unbelievable. People like phone me and go, oh, my God, I sold somebody at a party the other night. <laughs> so I'm you're like, part oh, of the gossip circle. Exactly. <laughs> So with an episode, for instance, we will know the storyline that we're going to follow for the hour, perhaps. And we will we think we know what the end of the show is going to be. So then we can sort of draw that out with, you know, dramatic end of parts and stuff like that. And it will be really about who knows what, actually. And we always encourage the cast not to talk about anything to each other until they're on camera so it's always real reactions uh, how often do you just put two people together that genuinely don't want to be together just, a for, lot. just, just for, for our entertainment a lot and how do you convince the cast to do that what's the process that you go through do you know what they've all bought into it now and i find it really interesting they're just used to it yeah i mean they produce the show a little bit because they know well number one they want to be they all want top storylines so they know that if they keep something back and do it on camera, they're going to get airtime. So they've become so savvy. And actually a part of that is because they've been on the show for so long. They know how it works. They know how it works more than me. You know, it's unbelievable. <laughs> so they'll come to you and say, oh, this is going on. Or, uh, it might or, work better. or they might not come to us and they'll just do it on camera and we'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe that's just happened. <laughs> going back to series, I think it was series two, actually, when Millie threw a drink in Hugo's face. Never knew that was going to happen. And so we just followed it, you know, and that really is documentary in a way, you know, because we're just like just following the, the action. Line. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, we have beautiful cameras and lights. Yeah, and, you know, on, on that point, that's... I mean, it's a lot of craft goes into yeah. the show. You can see it on screen. It's, you know, glossily staged, lit, graded, all the rest of it. I mean, tell us about that process. Well, 
From the very beginning, I wanted to make it look very, very different from Towie, actually, because, you know, Towie had looked like a soap, really. And we wanted it to look like the closest we could to an American drama. And actually, I used Gossip Girl as a reference point. I got uh, the Sony cameras in that hadn't been used, actually, in reality TV. It was the F3s that hadn't been used. So we got those in as a start. And I think that really, really changed the look of the show. Those cameras are really important, actually, because they look very filmic. Uh, You can use them in a small environment, so in real locations, and you don't have to be, you know, like 12 feet away from the cast members. You could be right in their face, and it'll still give you that lovely sort of depth of field. And then some bloody good directors, actually, who really love what they're doing. Directors line up to work on Made in Chelsea because it's the only reality show out there where they get so much time to craft the look of it and they do have the lights and they do have their tracks and toys and they're just so excited it's like something new's coming can we use it I'm like yeah 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 try it out yeah but I do think it's really important to keep those you know that sort of that railings you know those slow you know moves across the railings it's a very Chelsea now and you know like the street signs and stuff like that I do think it's got a quite unique look now. How much resource do you pour into finding locations because yeah, it feels like every episode you're you're in a new swanky bar or club. Well interestingly series one people genuinely didn't really want to be on a reality show in you know SW3 so we had to pay quite a lot for locations in sort of series one and series two. Now People are like, come and film here. It's the opposite. It's the total opposite. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, there's Chelsea tours now. Like, people, like, come to Chelsea and, like, have breakfast at Bluebird and have, like, Made in Chelsea hen nights where they go down the King's Road. (laughs) Um, It's quite incredible. In fact, the other day I was in a restaurant that I've gone to for years and I looked on the menu and there was Made in Chelsea cocktail. You're, you're seeping into culture. Right? And we were t- chatting just before you came in about casting and you've got, I think, Leonardo DiCaprio's ex-girlfriend, Emma Miller, joining the cast. Oh, uh, yes, right? we do, yeah. Is that, yeah. Uh, so how do you go about finding people and how well, do you feel they're right for the show? OK, so Emma Miller, for instance, we couldn't really ignore Emma Miller because Spencer was on holiday over the break, our filming break, and everything that the cast do end up in the Daily Mail online. And there were pictures of uh, Spencer and Emma Miller uh, sunbathing. And it was just all over the place, so we had to meet her. He makes the show tick, doesn't he, Spencer? He's pretty good, actually, I have to say. So um, does he draw people in? and, and or, or, yeah, do all he, the cast draw people uh, he, in? No, do you know what? He absolutely knows what's right for the show. Like with Emma Miller, for instance, we said, obviously, we want to meet her. And he was like, yeah, she'll do the show. She'll do the show. So, you know, he knows how to obviously talk people into doing the show. She was actually up for it. Some have not been, obviously. Because it, and most of the casting does come from them and their real lives. So, for instance, with Spencer, you know, most of the girls that have been on the show via Spencer have come from the fact that, you know, he's either snogged them or slept with them or has some history with them or is wanting to. Yeah. And what sort of duty of care process do you go through when, you, when you're approaching people and talking to people and saying, look, your lives are, are going to be on telly? We take GT of Care really seriously, actually. Channel 4 have praised us on it many times, which I'm very pleased about. There, there was a couple of scenarios, actually, in episode two with Ollie Locke. He was coming out um, on camera, and actually we had filmed a scene that uh, was quite distressing, actually, in the end for some, you know, some of the people there, his family members. And they phoned me and went, we just don't want this on, on camera. And at that point, you're like... 
actually, yeah. I mean, if this is going to genuinely affect your life, then we can't do it. And actually, on that occasion, you know, the person who he was telling didn't know, and it was quite stressful for them. Um, and that had affected, you know, most of the show after that, but we pulled it because it just... It was too much. It was too much, actually. And ultimately, it is a entertainment show on E4, and, you know, you don't want people... <laughs> getting that upset so yeah. there's there's that side of things so we do take it very seriously and then but also we are very very straight with them you know they've got access to all sorts of resources and we say to them it's a reality show and if your partner cheats it's going to come out it's going to come out on camera it'll probably come out in quite an uncomfortable situation are you up for that you yeah. know and if you're not don't do the show actually and if you do do the show and it's really upsetting perhaps pull back a bit you know. Okay. Well, we look forward to seeing their lives in yes. front of our eyes. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Now, during his Edinburgh controller session, ITV's Peter Fincham described the reinvention of Through the Keyhole as a perfectly tailored suit for Celebrity Juice host Keith Lemon. The format, which invites viewers to snoop round the homes of the rich and famous, was propelled into the nation's affections by David Frost and Lloyd Grossman in the 1990s. It will return to ITV this weekend with the irrepressible Lemon casting light on palatial cribs and causing trouble with his own unique brand of celeb fuel jest. In a minute, we'll hear from Dan Baldwin, the man responsible for this latest TV resurrection. But first, here's a clip of Lemon touring a house in the first episode. The place is smart, traditional, some may say palatial. Let's get involved. As I walk into the dining room forward slash over lounge, I've noticed that the walls are splattered in ship pictures. Is this a clue or does this person genuinely just like a good ship picture? <laughs> As I sit down at this table, it's obviously apparent that it has a dual purpose. They not only dine on this table, but they use it for debates. Mass debate. Oh. Debates in mass. Debates in mass. <laughs> uh, we're all chuckling away here. Dan, I mean, ITV's been mulling this one for a, for a couple of years, hasn't it? Uh, how did you convince them to take the plunge eventually? Well, it wasn't. It was about convincing Sir David Frost. Keith Lemon is someone who's going to bring a brand new twist to this show, and he does. You know, it brings it into the comedy world. It breathes life into an old format. And I think we were all pretty convinced about it. Uh, we, we thought he could do it. And let's face it, we all like being nosy, don't we? We just want to look around people's houses. But if you can then add a, a comedy twist to that, then uh, I, think you're, I think you're getting somewhere with it. And, uh, you know, we had to speak to Sir David Frost and he wanted to have breakfast with Keith Lemon and it was all a bit like, <laughs> keep them away, keep them separate. These two should never meet. Um, uh, but uh, so, we, we, you know, we filmed a pilot. Lloyd Grossman came down to the pilot because he owns part of the format. So David Frost, Lloyd Grossman and a guy called I think Kevin who first came up with the idea on TVAM uh, as a segment. And uh, Lloyd came down and he loved it. So talk us through it a bit. I mean, what are you doing differently, if anything? Well, it's a hybrid of a chat show and touring around people's houses. And, and what we've done is that Keith will always do something outrageous in someone's house. So in someone's very famous house... He, he turns around to do a link and knocks over one of their vases and it smashes on the floor. Now, obviously, we've had that vase made up and replaced them, but that celebrity's face when that vase goes <laughs> over is an absolute picture. Uh, and another very, very, very famous person's house, the cameraman puts... Uh, 
dog shit on the carpet by accident. So Keith blames the cameraman, you know, shouting at the cameraman, Terry, what have you done? Don't worry, I'll clear it up. So pause white wine on it then red wine <laughs> then he pours salt on it and then he gets scissors and cuts through <laughs> their carpet and obviously they are there and they're mortified but you've got, got some great names I mean even in the first episode I mean was it hard to convince people to come on board and, and, and open up their houses okay well think about this right this is the way the conversation went we're bringing back through the keyhole can we snoop round your house most sane celebrities say no way some people go, okay then, mm, all right, how much money? Okay, yeah, no, we'll do that, yeah, no, that's fine. Who's doing it? Keith Lemon, no way. You know, and that's the way the conversation went. But some people said yes, and those people said, and I think, you know, what I'm most excited about is when, the people, when people view this is that celebrities themselves hopefully will see it and, 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 and see the spirit that we've made it in and say, you know what, yeah, if, if I'm going to open myself up for someone to come around my house, why not? Keith Lemon, bring him in. You've got a, a coveted slot uh, after X Factor at 9.30 on ITV. Is that, yeah. is that daunting or is it exciting? I think it's uh, a bit of both, really. You know, you, you don't want to shed millions of viewers, X Factor views. You don't want... You know, because Keith Lemon is polarising for some people and, and we understand that, we accept that. And there's some grannies and uncles and aunts out there that are going to go, oh, I don't like this guy, I don't understand him, I don't get him. But we have tried to make him more ITV main channel, um, as in, you know... It is far less rude than Celebrity Juice, but we we want to we want to keep his edge. We don't want to we don't want him to become Tim Vincent. So you know we've tried to keep as much Keith Lemon in there as possible without offending anyone, um, and uh, you know without disappointing anyone as well. Yeah, I mean, there's been a couple of cracks with him on ITV One, or what was what was ITV One uh, with Sing If You Can and, and, and Lemonade. Yeah. I mean, do you think this is the one to 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 finally crack it for him? Well, you could argue that Keith Lemon shouldn't be before nine o'clock, you know, full stop. And, you know, and Lemonade and Sing If You Can were both, they were family shows. And is Keith Lemon family? I don't know. You could argue that he sells out slightly when he becomes family because that's not, his cheeky nature isn't family. And just a quick one, I mean, Catchphrase and Surprise Surprise are, or have already been rejuvenated on, on ITV. I mean, do you think there's a danger that perhaps viewers might have revival fatigue? I think that if it's a good show, it's a good show. Yeah, you know, when Keith Lemon walks into your house, Lloyd Grossman would never comment on your decor or make a judgment of your house. Keith Lemon walks in and he says, "Oh, I like this front room." And straight away you you mm. think, "Oh, that's a lovely comment." And then you're thinking, "Hold on, but look what he's wearing." <laughs> so if he thinks your front room's good, you must have a shit front room. <laughs> you know, and that's the beauty of yeah. it. Thank you very much for coming on, Dan, and, and talking to us about it. Uh, if you would like to come on Talking TV and discuss your new show, uh, please drop me an email on jake.canter at broadcastnow.co.uk. And that, I'm afraid, is that. Thanks to all of my guests. The producer was a mercurial Matt Hill, and I've been Jake Cantor. See you in a couple of weeks. You've been listening to Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. 